In this episode, I've discussed with Vinnie O'Brien, one of the industry-leading influencers and thought leaders, about the future of e-commerce and the concept of free commerce for everyone. Vinnie highlights the need for a shift in the traditional e-commerce blueprint and the importance of education in the industry. Vinnie also explores the role of AI in e-commerce and the challenges of data-driven decision-making. He addresses the impact of platforms like Shopify and the changing landscape of advertising and exposure in the e-commerce space. In the conversation, Vinnie also discussed the use of video to engage customers and the importance of investing in brand campaigns. He emphasized the need to differentiate through brand awareness and build customer goodwill. The conversation also explores the evolution of shoppable video and live shopping for product management, engagement, and increased sales. Vinnie also shares insight from his retail media experience about the opportunity in a cookie-less world. The conversation concludes with a discussion on the future of shoppable TV and the balance between high production value and authenticity in video content. Tune in for another invaluable episode with Vinny, but be open-minded and question your traditional e-commerce practices that can lead to innovation and improved conversion rates. Welcome to the Ecom Pulse, your heartbeat to the world of e-commerce. I'm your host, Eitan Kotter. Join us as we meet with industry leaders, marketing experts, and the innovative minds behind the tech that is shaping the e-commerce future. So plug in, gear up, and get ready for a pulse-pounding journey into the heart of e-commerce. Hi, Vinny. I'm super excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Eitan. Yeah, excited myself. Um, we've had some good discussions already and looking forward to getting into it uh, with you a little bit today. I, I know we have a lot that we could talk about. It'll be interesting to see where where you take it for us. So yeah, really excited. Thanks for having me on. Yes, and thank you for your time. You know, you are, for me, you are one of the e-commerce influencers out there, right? <laughs> In terms of your, you know, the content that you create and the things that you do and all the research. And also, I know that this year you're also got the word of like rethink retail 2024 top expert, right? So I would love for, you know, the audience to know you better, right? If you can share uh, with us a little bit about your background experience and what are you actually focusing on these days? Yeah, I'll start by saying I still can't explain to my parents what I do. Whenever I try to do it, (laughs) they don't understand it. So I think I work with... Similar problems, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, look, thanks for, for having me on. I, I've I've been around a long time, I think, like most people in our industry, um, kind of 15 or 20 years, and I've worked through a number of different areas. I've been on platform side with eBay, and that was that was really a really strong formative part of my own career. It, it set down the groundwork for how I get to think about things, um, the exposure we got to a lot of retail clients. So my, my first clients, for example, in the UK were, uh, Argos and JD Sports, and then I started working mm-hmm. with Little Woods as well, a huge catalog company. So we got great exposure quickly. And to give context to that, it meant that we had to learn how to do, you know, where understand operations, merchandising, marketing rhythms, all these really strong retail skills that uh, allowed us to, to shape the way we wanted to think. And because eBay was really new at this, they didn't have the tools. So we got to develop our own tools. We got to work within an ecosystem, which I think if I look backwards now that was something that was quite unique so we had all these third-party vendors creating software and they were saying we recognize an opportunity we want to give you like customers at scale and use our our existing customer base and bring this whole new age to them and that was quite new at the time and when i fast forward to looking at things like the shopify ecosystem now for example it's incredibly powerful it's like its own marketing machine Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I learned a lot during those phases and, and, and that was really important. Then I went through a number of roles. I won't go through them all, but I've worked in startups for car parts. I've worked in pure retail, operationalizing e-commerce experiences. Um, and with all of those, they bring different challenges. So, you know, one of the key things in retail that I learned was being able to articulate an argument for securing capital investment, for example. Um, okay. So look, it, it's, it's been a huge journey. About eight years ago, then I started consulting on my own. Um, that has led me on a, on a journey where, you know, we connected on LinkedIn and we I started producing content. In parallel to all that, I was lecturing. So around different parts of Ireland, doing professional and academic training. Mm-hmm. And that means that you're constantly trying to build content. So I think that was naturally there. And, and that's kind of led to the last two years where, <clears throat> excuse me, I started working with, with, with Rick Watson uh, yep. about 18 months ago in New York. And mm-hmm. and that was great because you know the kind of content that Rick produces and sure. the way he thinks is just so different yes. to, 
to pretty much anybody out there and and getting to work closely with him over the last 18 months has been really good so i produce a podcast with him every week yeah um the watson weekend we have i think over three thousand minutes to film for that this year and then we got three other podcasts we're going to be running throughout this year as well so my, my role has evolved into the production of that and curating the content and working with all the vendors like, like, like yourselves to try and try and understand the products and, and figure out um, how do we distribute how do we distribute a message in a really really different way and then I, I think it, it was great because we we never met in person myself and Rick obviously pandemic and all that kind of good yeah, stuff sure so at the beginning of the year I, I we I got added to that retail the, the rethink retail list mm-hmm. um so that 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 was a, an interesting conversation to say to my wife a week after Christmas. I want to go to New York for a few days to basically celebrate and have a bit of a party and get to meet people that I want to know. But I got to meet Rick and hang out and, you know, spend time with them on a personal capacity, which was was great because, you know, the, the relationships that we build online, they can only be enhanced by what we learn in person. So, look, I've had a really lucky start to, to the year for myself. Um, I'm enjoying it. and. You know, the, the challenges that, that we're looking at today are so varied and, and it seems like every week there's something new for us to consider, as I'm sure you, you find yourself. Sure. Um, so you got to be able to think on your feet. And I love ambiguity. I love that space where okay. things are uncertain. I, I get uncomfortable if, I, if I'm told I've got to do the same thing for the next five years. That's where you'll see me sweat and get really bad at stuff that I do. Yes. Um, I operate well in that space. Okay, amazing. It's great to hear you and also to see you as we're recording this on video, obviously. I mean, all the passion and the energy and the excitement is uh, truly out uh, there for you. So really excited to see there. And I know you're also running now also a video, a weekly video show, right, Rodrigo? Yeah, um, we we were looking at formats and I'm sure it's something in your world that, that is, is really key. You're looking at the evolution of how people consume content and the, the big things, particularly in the US, are audio and mm-hmm. and video is so important. So I think, and this is something we'll talk about maybe today and, and outside the pod as well, but it's it, it, the consumption of internet time spent in the US is about 80% spent on video or streaming services. Wow. So yeah. if you're trying to get yourself known, um, it, it's a really good vehicle for developing your brand story and, and trying to move it out. So as we looked at that, we were thinking, well, one, we want to kind of deliver news, but in a different format. So video was really key to us. We have been researching TV and magazine shows now for about a year to understand what are the, the format opportunities within it. How do you edit it? How do you get the, the pace together? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the tone was something we think that not many others are doing, which is a little bit more fun, let's say. Um, yeah. And then aligned with that, I started running uh, kind of a, what I call a satirical news uh, rundown every Friday as well, which um, I don't know how it lands with people, but but some of the feedback I get is is, is enough to keep me going. Um, it's a, it lands very very good. It's very very special. I like it uh, a lot. Thank yeah. you. It's uh, look, it, it's a bit of fun. It's really my personality coming through, and it allows you to yes. talk about things in a way that maybe you think but don't say. Yes. So I wanted to ask you about the Rethink Retail, I mean, the top expert 2024. And I saw, I read the post, you know, kind of a recognition of 20 years in the business. It was kind of an emotional, I mean, share with us, you know, how this is, uh, came through. I, the, the honest answer is, I, I don't know. If you get nominated by someone from <laughs> I within. Know, I know, you're not involved, you're just notified, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I, I honestly, it was, it was the week before Christmas. I think it was December 22nd, and we mm-hmm. got notified that this was happening. There was an embargo on publicizing it because they wanted to get the amplification of lots sure. of people talking yeah. together. And it was kind of surreal because I live in the southwest of Ireland, a tiny little island, um, kind of nestled lovely between the UK and the US markets. And um, I, I, I believe it's kind of recognition of content output really as much as anything else. Um, I'm not as polished as some of the other people on the list in terms of my content, but I'll always give an opinion. So. Yes, the way I think about it won't be what everyone else thinks about it, but I, I think that's what resonates with people. Um, and it's been interesting since we got there because we got to meet up together in New York at NRF, the the big retail show. Yeah. So I got to meet you know a hundred, maybe one hundred and twenty people who were on that list from all different parts of the world and different parts of our our, our industry. 
um, and get to talk to them about what they what they see in the world, um, how, how they view it. They're all very positively uh, aligned to getting getting a better a better understanding of how digital and retail can coexist. Um, and they've got really okay. different points of view. I don't agree with them all, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think there's got to be a little grain of salt taken with some of the messaging, which is the reality side of it. Um, but it was an, an amazing experience to go to New York and, and to experience all that. I'd never gone to NRF before. You know, it's 40,000 people in a conference for, for five days. Um, yes. Super busy, super intense. Uh, very, very big, and you kind of have to make the best of it, uh, 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 the best of it uh, as much as you can. And I think there's only been two other Irish people on it prior to that. Um, so I, for me personally, that was was really good. Again, I still can't explain to my parents what 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 it does <laughs> or what it means for me, but um, I was yeah. really uh, genuinely humble. It, it's it was a nice recognition for, for yes, some yes. Of stuff. So it's really amazing. Yeah. So I, congratulations. I away, okay, sure, sure, sure. So I mean, Vinny, so many things to to unpack. I mean, I feel I can talk to you about anything, right? In in e-com retail, but maybe we start. I know you, you know, speak a lot about you know the future of e-commerce, and there's a special term that you use. Uh, how do we better do free e-commerce for everyone, right? So. Mm-hmm. I would love to learn more about uh, what are your thoughts in terms of where the e-commerce is going. What do you mean exactly by free commerce? Yeah, so free is a broad expression, I guess. But what I think <laughs> is that the the way we've done e-commerce for the last fifteen years works in certain certain territories and certain market sizes, <laughs> and it's become the blueprint for how everyone approaches it. So um, we do a few standard things. We'll build our website you know we look at shopify we'll measure it against everything else we're told it's easy to do mm-hmm. um we will you know put together a tech stack that, that typically falls into clavio for email marketing you might run on some live chat um yeah. and 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 it's okay then to build a team that's kind of cobbled together is the best way to describe it you know it's people maybe not with core skills but you're led to believe at that point, then it's easy. And and we push into Google and Meta for advertising um, with a little bit of social thrown in for brand relevance. And yeah. that, that, that recipe, to be honest, Satan, is, is not working. Like we've, we, we saw mm-hmm. a lot, I think last week or the week before, there was a report done on the top 250 um, fashion brands in the UK. Only five of them reported profitability. Wow. Like, that to me, yeah, wow, wow. exactly, only five, and I'm surprised it was five. Okay, so my point, I guess, is that the shape or the the building blocks that we've put in place for e-commerce aren't necessarily the right building blocks for every country. So take Ireland as as context. Mm-hmm. Ireland is five million people of a population. If I was working in eBay, we would say Ireland is the size of Greater Manchester. That that's the that's how small it is. Yeah. So we have loads of things going on and considering the pandemic and the addition of new tech and new entrants to the e-commerce market, everyone thought they're going to get double digit growth. I, I would say the, the majority, 80% plus are doing less than half a million here. Mm-hmm. Um, they won't ever do more than that because Ireland as a small island is very, very dispersed and people live in faraway places like me. And mm-hmm. as a result, it's an expensive country for everybody to have an e-commerce presence in the way that you're doing it. Yeah. My my theory is that you either do something like a co-op where we have shared services or shared service centers around the country okay. to handle regional e-commerce and say, well, in the in the north, south, east, and west, we've got service provided at Lou Warehousing, customer service, and maybe some marketing support. And why, why, while you're doing all that, you're saying, well, actually, why don't we aggregate all of your marketing budget and saying every small retailer in my town, there's, I don't know, 200 in, in our, 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 our town, um, if they all paid 50 euros a month to go towards a marketing budget, that's a really good budget, really healthy for localized, geo-targeted market. Mm-hmm. It means then they're not competing with Sheen and Timu and all these yeah. international entrants that are coming in. No, they will invariably, but mm-hmm. that, that's the sort of, of um, thinking around the modeling. And, and the more I talk to people, <clears throat> excuse me, and I've done research on on Africa, for example, 1.4 billion people, and it poses all these other challenges one being um, they'll never be able to do next day delivery across the continent because it's just too big. 
Sure. And the infrastructure is not there. And the other part of that that we fail to realize is that 80% of infrastructure projects in the country fail at feasibility stage. Wow. So they're not going to solve yeah. that in the next 20 years. So <laughs> yeah. th- again, the next day delivery or two day delivery model will not work there. So as a proposition, they, they need to think about it slightly differently. And th- that's kind of what I mean. So I, I, the, the free part is that there's so much information and knowledge out there that we should be able to bring kids out of school knowing what, what the basics of this are in the same way they learn core subjects and they understand there, there's different ways that you can do it and then let their creativity wrap around that and start designing different solutions. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they're, they're going to accelerate our use of different technologies like, like video. You know, in, in China, when WeChat t- really took hold, they didn't have desktop um, development in, in China ever. So they went mm-hmm. mobile first and mobile everything. And, you know, we're not too far away from a generation of, of, of kids in, in the, the Western hemisphere that are going to be in that mindset as well and think, how do I make, how do I make life easier for myself? Yes. Uh, so I just think we've kind of failed in that, on that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need to rethink, excuse the expression, but we need to rethink the way that we think about it. Um, and, and, and like the final part, I, I was chatting to someone about this on Friday was I, I think because we're consumers now, we spend so much time in our phones that we become passive. So yeah. we just accept that this, this is the way that things are. And we don't really think about the experiences that would make e-commerce better for us. Like to me, the, mm-hmm. the try before you buy, you know, virtual fitting rooms makes absolute sense. It solves the returns problem to, to a large degree before it ever occurs. And you as a consumer should really go and do it. We do it in physical retail. We go into a dressing room, we try mm-hmm. it on, we, mm-hmm. we don't like it, we leave it there, it's re- re-tagged and put back in a rack. For me, that, that that kind of stuff should be the sort of behaviors that we adopt, particularly as we, we think we're, we're more sustainably focused. So I think we've got to grow up a little bit and think about the experiences that are going to make life better. Yes, I mean, interesting. So, I mean, it, it used to work, right? When COVID yeah. started, everyone just copied the same blueprint, right? In supply chains, digital marketing, for sure. you know, product management, and everything works. Everyone, you know, I mean, the growth was crazy. And now it's starting to shrink, right? Um, supply chains is, is, you know, cost is, is going up. You cannot longer, you're competing with Amazon Prime. And you, you need to, definitely in the US, you, need to, you cannot charge. I mean, shipping was a PNL, right? That, but now sure. <laughs> it cannot. You mentioned technology, like virtual uh, try-ons. Yeah. You mentioned uh, partnerships, like consolidating marketing budgets sure. and stuff. Right, so I mean, for any new brand that want to launch a new marketing campaign or want to launch a new business, what are what are the other things that trends or major things that you know need to take to take into consideration when when looking at the business of the future? You know, post COVID. Yeah, so, so there's two things in that, um, and, and look, that supply chain conversation is really interesting because it feels like we came out yes. of it in conflict within our own businesses, trying to figure out who's going to take the costs on board, who's going to own the marketing budget, and and I think that that's yeah. That's probably come full circle, um, and I, I think that's where people are are now having those kinds of discussions on on the, the the things that we need to think about. There's two sides of it for me, and the, the the thing one of the things I learned at eBay was if you can't go and list on eBay or Amazon, if you can't take a product, list it, sell it, ship it, and get feedback, good, bad, or indifferent from a customer, I don't mm-hmm. think there's a world that exists where you can do it better on your own website with less of a service because uh-huh. they have set down such huge performance standards for us. I don't believe they're right, by the way. I think they're they're too aggressive. But if you can't do it there, you're not going to be able to deliver a better service for a brand that people have never heard of. Wow, interesting. Globally. That, yes. That's my own belief. Yes. I've, I've been quite open about that. Okay. So that leads me then to, to kind of the other side of it, which is we, we've not invested in education. So mm-hmm. e-commerce uh, as a percentage of retail, depending on where you look, is about 15 to 20%. So it's contributing to economies all over the world. We've not yet taken a step to formalize the education around it. So we have missed, I, I think, a full generation of people to formally educate them. So now what I think we can do is start upskilling people. And, and when I look at the things that are out there in, in terms of, you know, jobs of the future. Merchandising is one of the key skills I believe we, we need to have in e-commerce. So yes. very, very much focus around conversion rate optimization. Um, and within that, you, you you can't just be one thing. You can't just be someone who looks at numbers and tries to 
raise the sales number every day, you're kind of saying, well, what are the tools I need mm-hmm. to allow me to do my job to achieve an improved growth rate? So it might be that you use shoppable video or you want to use video for customer service because you've got mm-hmm. a technical product and the best way for you to convert is actually get talking to someone. Um, and within that space, like for, for context, I've part ownership of a D2C mm-hmm. brand. We sell thermally insulated tents. We've made all the mistakes that I've just talked about. So yeah, okay. I'm, I'm kind of kicking myself here under the table as I go through it. But we've made those mistakes and we've recognized that these are the things that we, we've gotten wrong. And look, some of the reasons are, are not easy to solve. We were trying to go through funding issues. We crowdfunded the business. So, you know, we got enough in to get cash flow solidified. And then you kind of move through these different areas. But when I look at what we need for the team now, it's, it's not what we needed four years ago merchandising is going to be a key role i think we 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 need someone as well who needs to understand how we how we build some automation through the business Um, and i think that's really going to be part of the skills that everyone needs because ai i learned at nrf it's embedded in everything so we kind of have to take it take our head out of the clouds and say we don't necessarily need to worry about the ai but what does it give us an opportunity to look at to change in our business Mm -hmm. so you know, some of the areas I've seen AI being useful is in people who need to generate product descriptions or so, some areas like that around SEO. But if, if I look at some of the, the kind of hidden areas around automation, it's how do I reduce the workload on people who, who've been telling us for a long time they're stressed, they don't have the, the, the tools to do the job or they don't have the time because yeah. they're working in multiple different areas. So, you know, I, I, I'd love to see that people are, are starting to bring people in to deliver sensible automations into business built on business cases and saying well instead of this being looked at as as a monthly cost we're going to look at this as a monthly cost saving and you know for every two hundred dollars of spending here we're saving four hundred dollars in three days over there so Mm -hmm. this this is not something that we need to bring up at monthly management meetings we just need to figure out how do we adjust that and bring cost savings in different areas And, and i think you know, looking at the challenges for people, growth is going to be hard to get for the next couple of years. So I think you can give time and focus to, to these two areas. One, getting incremental gains through better conversion rate. And the other side of it is looking at the skills that we're going to need to deliver uh, cost savings in a business in a pragmatic way. Yes, yes. I mean, you mentioned education. I interviewed Carl Boutet from, from Montreal yeah. and, you know, he's heading Retail Innovation Lab in McGill University. And the students actually learning about retail, about innovation, right? They also do partnership with the industry. So it's very nice to see that aspect, but I, I tr- fully agree. It's not something that is common and um, something that you learn uh, maybe probably later in your career when you're already in, within the industry. And you started to mention also some of the AI functionalities mm-hmm. and obviously reducing cost, re- reducing, you know, complex processes. I mean, if we try to just zoom in a little bit for today, is there anything that you found that is you, you see that is actually working and making an impact you know, on, on businesses? Um, from an AI perspective, what, what I see being used is a lot of people are using it for co- general content creation. So content creation is not easy. So yeah. where it's used poorly is where someone is copying and pasting a prompt out of chat gpt for example yes and this is very easy to identify it today right yeah, yeah. It, it is but 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 it's we've not really trained people on it so where i see it being useful is maybe you can deliver like for us for example we've developed brand persona for our, our tent brand we um we've built it out fairly rigorously we've we fed into our ai tool set that they know who the avatar of our ICP is and they mm-hmm. are quite clear who that person is, how they talk, the personality that's around that person. And they, we, we, we can then create things like we want to go to speak to this influencer. We want to talk about these topics and we're going to be in North America in this state. Help us build a script to uncover the following four or five questions. Yeah. And that that that's a big time saving and it's a cost saving because typically we would have had to go to a production company um, and we've been able to train it a little bit on some previous scripts that we felt have worked and what we've looked yes. at is um, scripts or, or sorry maybe scripts or outputs that have had high engagement previously so we've used them to be a template to say okay if we wanted to do this at scale and we recognize as a small brand we need to be a content machine 
And it's just not possible for one person to produce all of that. And we don't have the budget to go to a production company every single time we want to do it, but we have to be producing content all of the time too. So that's where I see people using it well. In in other areas, it's more on the analytical side. It's it's trying to, you know, maybe if you don't have a, a technical background or you're not into analytics as such, but you know the questions you want to ask, it can be good at interpreting data for you and presenting it back because there's no gray area with it. It just presents back what it has. Um, then it's up to you to start building out the insights. They're probably the two key areas um, that, that I've seen people using quite well. But but people are kind of afraid of it now because yes. they feel like if someone sees I'm using an AI tool, they think I'm being lazy and just trying to not do my job as yeah. opposed to, okay, maybe you've put some time and thought into it um, and you've built out something that's kind of useful for you. So um, it's an interesting space that we're in right now. Yes. You mentioned data and, you know, I've been you know, talking a lot on, on the podcast and also with brands. I mean, you, you see that there are a lot of tools to aggregate data, doing the segmentation, recommendation, shows you the data, but there's no tool out there that will convince the team that needs to manage and take some conclusions from this data to do some changes in the way they work. Mm-hmm. Most of the people are struggling to accept what the data tells them. Right and having difficulties to implement it within the organization. This is another area that I yeah. see, which is kind of a, where it all breaks apart in most cases. <laughs> like yeah, the, the lack of trust is <laughs> kind of crazy, right? Yeah, um, we're we're asking we're asking verified software to to do a job for us now. When yeah. it produces an answer, we we don't want to do something with it. I I, I think it's about accountability, really. Um, the, the, there's another way that I look at it, and, and this is something I learned in my eBay days, that there was this great mentality in the north part of England, which is around trading. And it was, I'm going to do what I can today. And it, it, it's the idea that um, you you want to beat the number from the previous day. So you might say, okay, I wake up today and I see it's raining and we sell umbrellas. I'm going to make sure that they come to the front of the store so people mm-hmm. walking by can pick them up and we might get 10 extra sales where if I left them in the back, we're not going to get them. So yeah. it's about being a little bit smart with the information that's there um, and the tools that are there as well. So again, going back to eBay, there was this uh, car part seller that we were working with in the Isle of Wight. And he had this theory that uh, when it rains, he sells more windscreen wiper blades, like going over and back to get rid of the rain. So he wanted to test the theory. And this is back in 2008. So he, <laughs> he was kind of an innovator, I, I thought at the time. He used the the UK uh, Met Office, so the the UK Weather Report produced uh, a report every day that said, here's the percentage chance of it raining today. And if it went above a certain percent, he he used an API that he plugged into the Met service. He brought it back into his pricing module and said, I'm going to decrease my price by 5% on the days that rain goes above a certain percentage chance. And he he did this for about a year. He tested it (laughs) for a full year. And I think at the end of it, we had about a 20, 25, somewhere between 25 and 30% uplift in terms wow. of, of sales. And the other thing that he, he started learning through it, and, and the first thing that people might think when they're doing it, yeah, it's easy to sell when you discount the price. He realized that there was no price sensitivity because what he started doing was creeping the discount up and up and up and up. But he started just marketing better. So he started getting more rigorous. Like I, I think he was triggering email marketing on those days to pre-existing customers rather than going down the discount route. And he was able to bring it to a point that he had, you know, an understanding of what was going on. He was able to test it using technology. He was able to trust the information. Um, and if he didn't trust it, he was willing to test it. And I think that's test. probably the space that we need people to get into. Yes, the iteration um, aspect of things. Yeah, and, and one final point on that, I, and <clears throat> you can tell me if you think this is crazy or not, but I think Shopify have kind of killed this for people. Now, let me explain. You get Shopify out of a box for $30 a month. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's a pretty impressive piece of kit, whatever way you look at it. For $30 a month, and I know you pay your, your ongoing fees, but for anyone else that's developing software or technologies, you're now competing against $30 a month or $200 a month. And that might not be your investment in tech. To, it might not cover the investment you've put into developing your tool set to recover it. And mm-hmm. as a result, you've got a huge ecosystem of vendors who are in the space of they've got their three-tier model you know you got a, you've got your freemium plan to begin with and then it's okay how do we how do we scale you up through it so shopify's made it really difficult for that ecosystem to charge beyond that 
And yes. the, the other point, I, I was talking to, to someone on, on a podcast last week, and the, the, the kind of area that I was thinking through, and I, I, was, I was running this through my head last Black Friday, was if I was a tech vendor, and I look at what goes on around Black Friday, I would I would put together a plan with my team to say, okay, for the months of September to December, we're going to upgrade all of our clients to our top plan to let them access all of our good features. Yeah. When there's going to be so much traffic coming through stores, they're going to be converting at a high rate. And it lets them see the power of our tool set if it's used properly. And we're going to give you, I don't know, maybe a, a training program via video that you can look at for yourself and really make sure that you maximize value. Because you talk to people about maybe why they don't make decisions. Well, we might have to spend a couple of hundred quid a month on that. And I don't want mm-hmm. to be the one responsible for it, yeah. even if it's going to improve your business outcomes. People are afraid to spend that money because all of a sudden something is priced higher than maybe the platform. The platform itself. itself so yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. That, that was just my, it's my own observation. I don't know. Do you see any of that? That kind of. No, I mean, uh, Shopify. I mean, they've changed everything, right? It's such a huge force. I mean, they put everything in a kind of a structured, you know, long tail, low cost way of scaling quickly in terms of, of the of the Shopify. And you see that. You know, the, if you look at the the strategy for Shopify Plus, right? They try to attract more lucrative. Type of customers and it's it's very difficult, right? Because um, you need that uh, agility and uh, control and implement the unique sauce, which, as you said at the, at the beginning of the of the interview, it's it's very very important in the future of e-commerce. You cannot do the same thing, copy the same blueprints, and assume that it's going to work. And you know, you mentioned five five companies out of two fifty actually profitable, right? And you were surprised yeah. with the five. So I guess it's the the same probably in other in other sectors as well. You need to do something different. You cannot do the same. Um, definitely, yeah, the macroeconomics. I'm guessing most people haven't planned yeah. for that yet. I'm yes. sure they're sitting there doing. It the- requires. Hey, I have a great idea of a product. I've defined the market, yeah. and I mean the execution, and then the the learning curves are uh, difficult for 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 many. And we are in currently in a world of increased, uh, you know, uh, manufacturing and shipping rates. Right. Yeah. So supply chain. Is getting more and more expensive. Uh, also, the delivery is getting expensive, and the competition is getting fierce. Uh, so, more innovation is required, uh, definitely on the tech stack, and definitely on the mindset of marketeers. But if you look at delivery as well as an industry, so many delivery companies have folded in the last six months and yes. continue to be under uh, cost pressure. Correct. So, they're not going to be able to maintain the the, the low cost rates for final mile delivery. No. Uh, and if you're an investor, you're looking at that going, I'm going to stay a million miles away from it. Because yes. during COVID, there was huge investment. None of it's reaping any benefit for anyone. And as a result, we have consolidation in the market. And consolidation just means power and prices are going to go up. And as you said, supply chain pressures are just going to fo- force uh, shipping companies to change the financial model through which they, they work with us. So yes. we're going to have to be prepared for that. Um, and, and, and again, I, I don't think we're really listening to the signals. and. It, it's an interesting step away from the question that, that we just talked about around decision-making. I'm sure people aren't hedging bets or trying to go back and get in, in negotiation to say, can we fix our rates in for two or three years? Can we give ourselves a little bit of certainty when they're talking mm-hmm. to shipping companies? And they're the sort of things that, that we need to do. And my final just point on the, on the certainty or, or kind of the not trusting data, it's really interesting because the insight is really the thing that we miss maybe when data is presented to us. If you look fundamentally what Google Pmax does, it says, we're not going to even give you the output. We're not going to give you the insight. We're just going to take the action and do the work for you. And people trusted to give give creative and a budget and then let it sit. And mm-hmm. maybe the only time they look at it is, is if there's a bad week or a bad month and someone asks them. But Pmax is an example of where there's an implicit trust. And I don't know why there is. It should be something people question all of the time. But it's interesting that we do it in one space and, and not trust data on another. Yes, yes. I think also worth mentioning, <clears throat> so in terms of struggles, I mean, that are unique for, for this year, probably timing is, one, we are in a cookie-less world, so targeting is getting more, like first-party data is getting more difficult. Uh, ROAS, you know, is actually questioned in terms of, you know, you know, you, you, you spend, you know, 30 cents over every dollar, you leave it with Amazon, probably with Facebook and the others. Yeah. Uh, and 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 we live in a world like you see Timo like you know acquiring almost all the the inventory out there, 
So how can you break out the noise? How can brands, you know, show themselves, you know, and, and gain exposure in the market? It's, it's, it's tough. The, the previous so, tactics that are not working anymore. Yeah. And, and again, I, I was just thinking about this over the last few days and I wrote about it. I think to Timo on the, on the official, the first reporting of their ad spend last year was 1.3 billion. JT yeah. Morgan reported last week that they actually spent 1.7 billion based on their best estimate in 2023. So how do you compete with that? You can't, fr- frankly. Um, and they're yeah. not just limiting it to one channel. But what I think we should be trying to consider is how do we operate within that framework? So how do we as a small vendor work, work there? And if I, if I take us as, again, as a, a direct-to-consumer brand in the U.S., we mm-hmm. can look at our data and see that there's only a certain number of states that we've only ever sold in in eight months. So our questions are, and we, we've tested this years ago, but we're probably coming back around to it now. So this is a real-time discussion. Do we pause spending in the states where we cannot sell? There's certain age, age groups that we do not sell to, so we know that they're included in our audience setting. But, but we fail to act on the fact we know that more people are in video. So I, you know, we, we've been on this road investigating connected TV for a while. Mm-hmm. We feel we need to be in that space to get better brand exposure. And then as a brand with a really technical product, we've started doubling down on video for customer service. So we're encouraging our customers through live chat to come and interact with us via video. video. Now, <clears throat> just for context, for, for anyone who's listening or, or, or maybe wants to know about it, we didn't just do that blindly. We, we said... There are certain behaviors that we think we can repeat, and it is if there's a certain number of page views done with a okay. dwell time then mm-hmm. of more than, let's say, it's 90 seconds on a product page, we will then present this as an option to a customer who's been multiple times to the site. So we have looked and said, what are those behaviors that we can repeat at a micro level in the states that are delivering something really good for us? Um, and deliver that on-site experience. Now, on the other side, we've invested in a brand a campaign. So we, we hired a creative agency from Houston last year. They have worked with all of the information we could give them and they possess a skill that we don't around creativity. So they've developed this um, new brand identity. It's video first. So it's got to be in streaming and TV, video on mm-hmm. demand, all those places. So our, the way we advertise Eitan is completely changing. So, and, and it's not even advertising. So we to go through the cultural mindset shift of not every piece of work that we do is around selling a tent. It's around building brand awareness and, and letting mm-hmm. people know that one, that we exist Two, what, what's the use case and three, you know, maybe we're going to be a fun company to deal with because of the, the way we put ourselves forward. So we've developed a campaign launching later this week um, that allows us to say, that's how we differentiate ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now it may or may not work. And, and this is, this is my final point here. I was thinking about Super Bowl and everything that went on this weekend. Yes. Would the Super Bowl ads be as popular? And I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but would they be as popular if it was for brands that we don't know? So would would yeah. they hold would people be on Twitter talking about them in I I think it was two two point four billion impressions on Twitter for Super Bowl ads on Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Interesting view. So, so I don't know, and, and 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 that like that's a really interesting place. So, it, in the hypothesis, if we if we as a small brand cannot get better brand awareness through leveraging Super Bowl, if we that mechanism for ourselves, and it just still didn't land with 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 customers, we've really got the question: Is our product right? Is this a product that people really want? So, as okay. I as I look through all the marketing and stuff that I've learned over the years, I now have myself saying Simon Sinek was wrong. It, We've been so focused on why we exist and telling people we're sustainable, we're green, mm-hmm. we're this, we're that. We've kind of forgotten to tell people what it is our product does. And I think we really need to build a use case to, to build yeah. trust, to build assurance, um, and to have a chance to be accountable for doing the thing we said we would do. That's where I think we can get value and, and long-term customer goodwill. I won't say yes. retention because it's so hard to, to deliver on and loyalty, but I think customer goodwill is the best thing we can hope for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is also something I see with brands happening now. You know, after COVID, where they try to address so many demand out there, there is now a, a trend of like make the strong stronger, right? It's in, in number of SKUs, right? Reduction of SKUs is like happening all over. 
you mentioned about trying to analyze which market are uh, are stronger. Maybe you know get rid of the entire advertising for those markets that are not trying to be profitable or successful. So just focusing on those one who who can scale further, like make the strong stronger. And this is like across the board, right? Both in supply and marketing. So it's a very interesting uh, perspective. And one of the things, uh, and probably the way to differentiate, uh, and you started to talk about it is, uh, is, is with video, right? And now we know the choppable video is a, is a very, very hot topic, again, combined probably with social commerce, right? So I think it's very important to differentiate between live shopping, which is one certain type of an, of an event, more polished, no longer type of, uh, of video form versus those short form videos, 30, 60 seconds, create quick conversion, you know, TikTok shop. And how do you see this uh, shoppable video trends, you know, evolving you know, in the next uh, Well, we series? first tried it. We used Facebook Live. It must be five years ago now. Um, okay. We and we did it randomly, but sorry, we, we'd done it for a period of time because we were crowdfunding. So we were bringing people through the journey, telling them the story, mm-hmm. showing them prototypes. And then we were trying to figure out how do we make this a little bit more uh, engaging from a product perspective and how do we get people to understand what we're doing. So we we decided we would commit to doing a Facebook Live every week. So I think you, you've got to give people certainty and say, we're going to be here at a certain day, at a certain okay. time, repeatedly, mm-hmm. so you can diarize the event. Um, you've got to think, what do we really want the end user to see? And we decided there was going to be a format of, you know, a, a rule of like, 70 20 10 it would be 70 percent this 20 percent this and 10 percent this yes. to make sure that we we break up the content and that allows us to understand where we get more engagement as well like do, do people stop commenting where we're super focused on sales and talking about pricing and things that matter to us because really that's what we're trying to do um or do people find more um the, the content more engaging where we're talking about the technical makeup of our product so mm-hmm. When we looked at video, that or video like shopping, live shopping at that point, it made sense for us because we felt the product was so technical. Now, a couple of things happened. The first time we did it, we were in a, a camping park, which is down by us. Um, our audience is US, so eighty percent US. We were out here in an Irish summer's evening. Um, we we did a lot of things like we we all had a beer. We made a you know the team were there. We we were just talking around it, and within. 10 minutes of us concluding the video, there's two people on the campsite, two different families that came over to us who had been watching us. And one of them was from Denmark and one was from the UK. And they purchased something. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't huge. But it was incredible to think that people who were from different parts of the world were tuned in, not just to Facebook, but to our video that was going on in the park that they were in. And they were able to come down and see us. So we really believed in it. And then as our team changed, if I'm being honest, we we didn't have the discipline to stick to the timing and it kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah. So we've decided now that we, we, we want to use live shopping as part of product launches. So I think we've got four this year. So we want to do a build up. So maybe three or four weeks of here's, here's kind of teasers. Here's, you know, here's the brand. Here's us. Here's who we are. Here's what we're seeing going on in the industry. And then it will be product launch and then tailor away. So we've identified that video has got a huge job to do for us there. Um, and one of the things that we learned within that is you've got to ask questions. You've, you've got to engage the audience in a way and not assume that they're going to be thinking the thing that you are talking about at that moment in time. So you almost need to make sure that from a production point of view, you've got maybe one person doing the, de- the, the demonstration and one person being the the eyes and ears of the customer. So I think that's yes. an important part of it. Yes. Um, and it's not to overuse it. I think that's the other challenge that we have because it is such a powerful medium for us. Um, we found it to be really useful. And as I said, we're using it now in customer service as well. So I look at different categories. Home and garden, absolutely could have this in place. Uh, electronics at a high level, absolutely could have it there. It probably should. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe um, there, there's some other categories that, that I would avoid, like fast fashion. It, it's great for a visual, but maybe it doesn't need that same level of production. The, so, the social shorts are, are different. But yes. there's a distinction that I, I arrived at having looked at all the Super Bowl um, ads, and I'd, I'd love to see what you think about this. But I, I think that TikTok is winning on shoppable content, just as a as kind of a, a throwaway comment. But I think they're winning because the primary purpose people are there is to be entertained. 
So Super Bowl ads are brand led, but they're there to entertain people. And it's become a, almost a lottery to see who's got the funniest celebrity on with the funniest script. And, you know, there's huge investment goes in there. But if I look at social, people want to be nosy and they want to see what's my neighbor doing or mm-hmm. it's not really a place that we go to be entertained in the same way. So I think entertainment and sales, they kind of go well together as two things. You you might go, well, I, I like what they did, so I'm going to go purchase the product. Whereas social is a little bit removed from it. It's almost like you're looking from a distance and you don't want people to know what you're doing. So you don't want to be sold to. So I think there's a distinction there that if we look at video as an entertainment channel, not a social channel, I think we can we can actually get it right and, and get more people using it uh, just because we spend so much time on on our phones consuming video content anyway. Yes, yes. And yeah, I mean, I saw we've, we've engaged on your post about TikToks. It started yeah. as, a, as an entertainment platform, they moved to a search platform. Probably now, you know, they made... You know, every every video on, on TikTok can be can become shoppable video, right? So it's in, in a transition yeah. to be a shopping. So it's it's interesting, you know, for because you know I started in video when it used to be called broadcast <laughs> before wow. streaming, right? So in a transition of video from analog to to digital, and traditionally, and you look at like retail media and like like Amazon Prime are trying to do and Netflix trying to do with commerce on the big screens. Like the big screen is kind of a lean back, you know, type of experience, right? A few clicks mm-hmm. on a remote, and then you're moving to a, um, you know, closing your uh, prefrontal cortex, moving to a kind of an, uh, you know, a subconscious state of mind. You're not engaged. You're not forward-looking. I mean, it's 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 very difficult. People are engaged by watching uh, uh, TV, but you know, ma- mainly interacting with uh, with their social network, as I said. But making a purchase on TV, I think it's um, in, term, in terms of human behavior. I think it's becoming probably uh, something that needs to be explored. It's kind, kind well, of a challenge. So how do you, yeah? I mean, how do you see big screen shoppable video? Or because there are major announcements around this topic as well. So there's two things. Well, sorry, there's a few, but but I think the main thing is we got to understand when big screen TVs are being used. It's usually in a multi device setting. Now, I don't know the numbers on it, but but it's it's typically about 80% of TV users. And if you look at the Super Bowl as an example, are on Twitter on their phone. They might have the, an iPad exactly. out, they might have a laptop yes. out. So yes. we're multi-device users. So the, the, the hook might be what you see on the big screen, but you might actually transact on your, your phone. And I, I worked with a startup here as a mentor about eight years ago. And what, what we were looking at and, and what their tech did, they, they were a Microsoft backbencher. We were looking at gaming and mm-hmm. and um, and streaming as the two areas that maybe there, there's a good possibility here. And you think about sports in general, and you know your your favorite football team or hockey team or whatever, mm-hmm. they launch a new kit and you want to get it. And at the same time, they launch a video game that you're sitting playing with your friends. The reverse camera was allowing you to try on the, the new kit that just launched so they can do in-game promos. They can do loads of different things, particularly yes. now as, as gaming has gone to live, live as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a token-based system on your phone okay. that said, okay, we're not going to interrupt your gameplay, but we're going to occupy this little space on the right-hand side of the big screen. So if you decide that you want it, you can scan it on your phone or you can you, you can tap. There's a few different mechanisms that means you never have to leave the game. You can try on the product. You can share it with your friends. Um, and it was a natural enough interaction. Or because you're in gaming mode, you can pause it. You can take that step away to say, I really like this. And, you know, I, I'm a Man United fan and I want to get the jersey. I want to get my name on the back. So you got the upsell. Yeah. And then you share it through. And, and and streaming was the other place that that was getting really, really um, popular as well. So I, I definitely think there's use cases there. And I've b- believed for a long time and have written about it a lot that I think that that idea that you said about us becoming passive in the way that we consume TV, mm-hmm. I, I I think that's there. And you know, Walmart launched a, a TV show pre Christmas that was a rom com designed around shoppable commerce. Yes, and they put a lot of a, a lot of effort into designing shots for the TV show that were like magazine shots. So you naturally think of shopping when you do it. So I I think those spaces are going to evolve. I don't see a world where that won't be fairly commonplace in in the next five or ten years where we will find it comfortable and you know evolution of things like touchscreen um you know 
they're the sort of experiences that, that are going to start being there and making it easier. Payments are now becoming more connected and part of, you know, maybe you just need to validate a pop-up on your phone to say, do you want to buy this now? Yes. And, and it secures the payment. So I think the infrastructure for shoppable TV is better now than it's ever been. Uh, yeah. I, and, and I think it's only going to improve. So I see it playing a part in our future. Uh, so as a brand uh, on our side, we're investing heavily into it now for the next two or three years. And we're, we're backing these assumptions. Um, well, sorry, not assumptions. They're behaviors that we're seeing happening. Yes, exactly. I fully agree. I mean, this is a major opportunity. You see like t full movies or a TV series creating a whole new merchandising, like a whole product line on that specific series. And you sure. know that is there just been promoted on the big screen, but you can go off, you can go offline and maybe purchase it offline, getting like a coupon code from a QR code or this type of experience that maybe makes more sense, right? Because you want yeah, to be entertained I, and not be in a, in a and, gay, and the, shoppable the, mode. Yeah. There's something that I think we need to realize. There's a timing factor. So you might not want to buy it in live, but 30 minutes after a show, exactly. or, and, and you know, the formatting yes. of shows has got different. So we've gone from yes. binge in one sitting to weekly. Mm -hmm. You might have a two day window where you remember watching the late, the last episode of Succession and you want to buy yeah. the suit or whatever. But, but the other side of it that I thought is interesting, and, and I've done a piece of work on this was um with drinks brands so and it wasn't um it, it wasn't shoppable tv but the the principle is the same mm -hmm. if you went to a gig last weekend and you want to see taylor swift or bruce springsteen and you've got your ticketing app on your phone that um you can then order you know drinks to your house next saturday if you're having friends around or you're doing a kind of a, a group listen to Springsteen on on Spotify or whatever that is, but they identified that there's these opportunities of time where you're still thinking about the event and you're mm -hmm. still got a high propensity to purchase. Um, so they're the sort of areas that I think when we think about shoppable TV, it doesn't have to be in the immediate time when I'm in a show, but you use yes. the show as the anchor to say, we're going to remind you about that, that thing that you really loved and, and you can store it and build a cart. Um, so I, I certainly see a, a lot of good use cases for it. Yes, and and while I mean, if we go if we go back to the mobile experience or to the you know let's call it desktop experience, and also and you mentioned that you're doing this also, what are your thoughts on uh, you know fully polished production versus authentic uh, type of uh, experience? I mean, is it like a niche dependent? Is it depends on you know I, stages I, I don't know. Like, life I, cycle I, of the product? I, I I go to events and speak to the guys on TikTok quite a bit, and they get up on stage and they tell everyone, "You don't need high production value." Then you're away talking to your agency and anyone with any creative background, and they'll say, "Absolutely, you do need production value." Mm -hmm. Um, so I, look, I, I'm a fan of high production video. I understand TikTok has its own format, but I don't think you would bring a TikTok format to many places. I, I think that production quality is key, but just a couple of things on production quality. You you can get a very high production standard or output from an iPhone. So your picture quality is going to be yeah. good. Sound quality is going to be good. I think that the, the detail is in actually planning what it is you want to say. Not everybody can pick up a phone and video themselves and just do it without thinking. Most people can't. So you've actually got to put a bit of thought into what it is you want to say, how you want to say it, where you want it to be. Um you know, things we've learned were like we're, we're, we're selling tents to Americans and we go camping in Ireland. Mm -hmm. They look different. So okay. it's very hard for them to associate Irish camping with American because they just fundamentally the scenery looks different. We our best Kickstarter, I think I said to you, we were working with a company in Tel Aviv and we can't replicate that. That was our best selling product <laughs> of all time. And we can't replicate wow, that. Nice. <laughs> but, but it looks more American than it does Irish. So. There's those little nuances. So I, I look, I lean on high production. I think it's an important part of okay. being able to distribute into more places. I think, you know, when I think about TV platforms connected or linear, they will want you to have a high production value. And ultimately, I think if, if we want, if we want that, um, that, that type of content to fit seamlessly into a TV experience, it's going to have to follow a more high, high polished uh, content format. So, Vinny, thank you so much. This is the time where we want to learn more about you, right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> if you can tell us something about yourself that most people don't know about you. I, I've, I've had really interesting jobs. So last week, and, and I only started thinking along these lines last week. So last week, I, I said on a podcast what my first job was. So I was in retail. 
Um, but I've worked since I was 13. But I, I went to live in Toronto for a while and I was a rickshaw runner. What? So, yeah, I, I used to run around <laughs> the city every day, uh, pick people up, uh, bring them where they wanted to go. I did that six days a week. Wow. It was an incredibly good job. Um, it was so much fun. You got to meet people all the time. But the, the, the funny thing, or there was loads of fun parts about it. We, we got to cover festivals and things like that. But you were trying to pitch to somebody coming out of a game. So you can imagine we're, we were sitting outside the, what was it, the CN Tower, I think it was, where all the, the, the baseball games were on or outside uh, Blue Jay Stadium. Yeah. And there's hundreds of people walking down these steps and you're standing there and there's all these competitors of yours left and right. <laughs> and it's the difference between you maybe having no dinner, pizza for a dinner, or being able to afford a burger and chips. <laughs> So you had to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch to the guy up there in the blue cap and the girl in the white dress. Nobody else is allowed to speak to them. So the whole way down the steps, you've got to pitch and say, "Hey guys, where are you going today? Do you want to go to your hotel? Do you want to go get a nice <laughs> restaurant?" So you had the whole world watching you trying to pitch or fail. Wow! And it was just so much fun. It was really good. You got to stay fit. You got to learn the city. It was an incredible job. I love it. Oh, great, great. We all need to be in a, in a sales, uh, sales mode all the time, right? But this is just uh, in, in, a, in a public way, probably, for you. Gave you all the tools. It, was, all the... it was terrifying. <laughs> like, the first wow. day I went there, I was, I was 19 years of age. Yeah. I'd never been away from home. <laughs> and, and we had nine people living in our house together. And I don't think we really had much money because the night I came home and you're being paid cash, I was able to go and buy pizza for everyone, and we thought this is the best thing ever. So, look, it was just a great experience to get so young and lucky. This is great. Thank you for sharing this, uh, Vinny. It's really, really interesting well, it's okay. and amazing. I've others, but it just it struck uh, me that it's an interesting position to be. And uh, yeah, and like Toronto is an amazing city. It's so progressive, sure. so safe, so nice. Yes, people are yes. great. So, yes. look, an unbelievable place to live. Hey, I think you deserve a post. <laughs> do, do a post about it i mean and the connection to the real real world and sales capabilities is is very very important you know what I, so you Vinny, thank you that. So yeah. if, I, if i haven't posted about that within a week you can call me up properly on twitter on, on linkedin and say this yes. guy is not true to okay. his word okay so i will publicly announce that <laughs> if you don't if you don't move in the next week or so you can <laughs> no i'll problem. even try to dig out the t-shirt i used to wear and put it on me and, and take a photo really wow it will be amazing amazing to see that even if you have a picture it's even better i'll do um, my best so yeah you can hold okay, me great. I'll, I'll post about it <laughs> no problem Vinny, anything else you want to add no, Ethan. I'd like it, it's it's a great discussion we could talk for hours and hours and hours i, yes, I think of course um, but but no, look, we we live in an evolving world. I I, I think the, the the idea of developing our own version of e-commerce, I think, is something we've really got to start thinking through. Um, I'd encourage people to be open-minded. The the data is there. Like conversion rates in e-commerce have hovered between two and four percent for fifteen years. I'd like to think in ten years' time we're looking back at conversion rates that are closer to ten percent, um, and maybe wow. with less operational costs. So I I think. The, the the metric that you look at is the conversion rate that's let you down for for 10 years is not going to bring your business forward and it's not going to make our industry better unless we question why we want to do things but um no be be open-minded be curious and um just keep 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 the faith because it's going to be a tough year ahead i think we all need to keep an eye out for each other and make sure that um Make sure that I, I suppose we give everybody a chance if they want to talk through something, hear them out. That's that's kind yes. of the way I see it. Amazing. So thank you so much for all the amazing, you know, value, experience. I mean, your passion and excitement from the industry so 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 important. Keep sharing knowledge and educate us about all things e-commerce. And where is the best place for people to find you, Vinny? LinkedIn usually. Um, okay. I, I've, I've Twitter and Facebook accounts, but LinkedIn's where I spend most of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm an open book. I think I said to you before. If, if anyone messages me, I'll, I'll generally get back to them. I'm happy to. Yes, you're very responsive. I mean, it's uh, yeah. So look, very nice. LinkedIn's a good place to find me. Great, and we will share the details obviously in the in the show notes. Yeah, and, and if people want to come to Kerry, I'll bring them for a beer, <laughs> okay. show them the, the sights and sounds of, of the southwest of Ireland. Sounds good. Vinny, thank you so much. Thanks, Eitan. I really enjoyed speaking to you this morning. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Your support means the world to us. If today's episode has been insightful for you, 
consider sharing it with someone who would also benefit. Even one share can make a big difference. Looking to elevate your e-commerce game? Discover Vimy, a multi-channel e-commerce platform that will transform your business with the power of shoppable video. Visit us at vimy.net to learn more. It's vimy, V-I-M-M-I Thank you for being part of our journey. Stay tuned for more invaluable insights in our next episode.